You know, many people look at movies and they call them amusement. The all-amusement side is to say that you're not thinking. Muse means to think. All means not to think. Would mean that you're not thinking. And the reality is that you do and you can think during movies. There are certain movies that thrust you into thinking, into reflecting, into going back and looking at, at your life like maybe never before. There was a movie, it was absolutely the best movie that I've seen in this past year. And when the movie was finished, Caleb and I sat in the movie theater and we didn't move. I was totally unaware, totally caught off guard by this movie. We sat there and I was speechless and he was speechless and I even looked at him to see what he was when he was going to get up, and he looked at me when I was going to get up, and we just sat there. And I just went back and played in my mind so many thoughts of different things, of, of, of different feelings, of different people's lives that I've been able to walk through in the 20-something years of ministry, and the hurts and the pains and the ups and the downs. And I even thought of my own my own life and the various wounds that maybe I have had. I even thought of my own relationship with my son who's sitting right next to me. And maybe the wounds that I've inflicted into him. And all these things are rolling through my mind. And again, not every movie is truth, but there are some movies that cause us to stop and to reflect. And when I saw the movie Warrior, it was that movie for me. Uh, it was that kind of movie. It was not what I went to. It's a man's man's movie, if you will. Uh, fighting, MMA, all that kind of stuff. And I was totally, again, caught off guard by it. But the story goes of a, of, of, of a man, a, a substance abuse man, father who was raising two boys, if you call it that, raising two boys in the substance abuse home. And as he's raising his two boys, he's obviously abusive. It's obviously he chases his wife away. It's some bitter divorce. It's, it's this falling apart of the American home and the family, and you, you see that. You see that. You see the results of that. You don't see what happened. In fact, you only get a snippet of what happened. What you see and what this movie is focusing on is the wounds, the ripples, but more than just dropping a pebble in a pond ripple, the tsunami ripple effect that happens in, in a home when wounds are inflicted, when pain is brought down from one generation into the next. I'm going to show you one scene of the movie today, and I think it will be enough to give you a very clear picture of what we're looking at. And, and in this one scene, you see that the father has now gone on 14 years removed from his oldest son, Tommy. Tommy has not been around, has not been in the home, has not been there at all. And Tommy has now come back home, and as he comes back home... Fourteen years later, they encounter one another. Dad has been reborn. He has had a salvation experience. God is redeeming his life. He is still in shambles. He still has brokenness in him. You can see it. It's oozing out. And yet, all of the sorries in the world, all of the regrets in the world, don't fix automatically the wounds of the past. I want you to watch this scene. And I want you to just live in it for a moment. Alex. 
what you've done with the place. Well, I appreciate that. There's not much of a woman's touch around here. Yeah, well, uh, no more women for me, Tommy. Yeah. Must be hard to find a girl who can take a punch nowadays. Fourteen years, you're not gonna have a drink with me? Come on. I told you I'm off it, Tommy. I'm coming up on a thousand days. Come on, just a drink with me. found God, huh? That's awesome. See, Mom kept calling out for him, but he wasn't around. I guess Jesus was down at the mills for giving all the drugs, huh? starts and it just continues the subtitle of the movie is fighting for your family and your country I would say one other thing fighting for your heart um, wounds hurt wounds go deep wounds last long time and separations don't heal wounds time doesn't heal all wounds we hear that in our culture today time heals all no it doesn't don't believe it 14 years removed you come back in, all of a sudden, the wounds are open again. The biggest epiphany for you today and for me today may be that the reality is, is that everyone in this room, I'm going, to, I'm going to jump across a big line here, and I'm going to say everyone in this room 
has experienced or is experiencing wounds right now. I'm going to say it has experienced. I'm going to use it in the past tense. Because the reality is, is that that is just who we are. And here's another reality if we want to wake up to realities today. And that is that we are inflicting wounds today as well. We as wounded people are turning around and inflicting other people with wounds. John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, said, Every man carries a wound. I've never met a man without one. No matter how good life may have seemed to you, you live in a broken world full of broken people. Your mother and father, no matter how wonderful, couldn't have been perfect. She is a daughter of Eve and he is a son of Adam. So there is no crossing through the country without taking a wound. And every wound, whether assaultive or passive, delivers with it a message. The message feels final and true, absolutely true, because it's delivered with such force. Our reaction to it shapes our personality in, every, in a very significant ways. From, from, the, from that flows the false self. Most men, most women, most men you meet are living out of a false self, a pose which is directly related to his wound. What do you make of this? How do you make of this? How do you, how do you rationalize this in, in your heart and in your mind? We're imperfect people raising imperfect people. We are, we, we are wounded people, wounding people. It, it comes in every di- different shapes and sizes. It, it comes in, in all manner of things. And I, I begin to think this week how many different wounds. Obviously, a substantive home creates wounds. I think that would go without saying. An abusive home creates wounds. Because we are broken people in a broken world full of brokenness, what you have is there's so many ways. There's, the list is endless. Overachievers can create wounds. Underachievers can create passivity in, in, in children's life. Broken trust or lack of trust, whether that's a dating relationship or in a marriage. Libertarians and aristoc- autocratics can create wounds and uh, abusive spouses or uh, neglective spouses can create wounds. Passive parents or smothering parents, the mother who smothers, can create wounds. Conditional love or simply no love at all creates wounds. Th- though a coach, a teacher, a friend, a colleague, a work associate, all of these people in our lives can create wounds in our lives. But probably no more so than the people that we love the most. Friends and family. Those who are closest to us, those who are supposed to love us the most, those whom we're supposed to trust the most, those are the ones who can create sometimes the deepest, more painful wounds of them all. Robert Bly in his book, Iron John, he said this, Some parents administer the wound, speaking to the parents of being the wounders, the, the inflictors of the wound. The wound to us by being indifferent or cold, by beating, by, by verbal abuse, by sexual abuse, by, by regarding us as nothing, by providing us with fundamental shaming. There's so many ways. It's endless. And the problem is, is that even, even yesterday as Caleb and I were talking about this movie, remembering back and, and thinking about this message, and, and I talked about wounds and we talked about the wounds that I've inflicted upon him. So just welcome to the wounded club today, all right? 
Welcome to the wounded club full of wounded people that are wounding people. But how can we get past all of the wounds? See, the reality is that some people wound people intentionally. I don't think that that's the common. I don't think think we're in a room full of people who intentionally wound their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, their nephews, the people that trust and their love. I don't think we do that intentionally. I think most wounds are accidental. I think it's whenever we, whenever we, just because we're wounded, we take on the wounds and we pass them down. It's learned behaviors, it's attitudes, it's, it's the ways that we haven't repented of and that we've just reproduced because that's what we saw for many generations back behind us. This is why we find in Scripture, again and again, 1 Kings 14, 2 Kings 15, Nehemiah 9, Daniel 9, just to name a few where he calls them back, he calls the generation that's living to go back to the previous generation and confess the sins of the previous generation. Now, is that some kind of Catholicism, purgatory prayer of getting the former generation into heaven? No. I believe it is going back generations however far and looking at the family structure, looking at the family tree, looking at how things have been done or not done, and calling it out. It's not dissing the parents or the grandparents. It's calling this generation and the next generation to a better way. I only wish that it... Well, if you look at Abraham, Abraham had this problem with lying. He lied to Sarah twice. Well, guess what? Isaac grows up, marries Rebecca, and and lies infiltrate that home. And then you go on, you go on down to Jacob, the third generation, and you see again that, that deceptive nature carrying down to the ten sons lying to father. You see favoritism. You see Abraham favoring Ishmael and Isaac favoring Esau. And Jacob favoring Joseph. This favoritism that one generation to the next generation, it just takes on its life of its own. Beware of the wounds that we're carrying through our lives. I want to focus in on this story. I want to focus in on the Joseph story because take your Bibles, be finding the book of Genesis. should be pretty easy. Go to the front and turn right, all right? And uh, you'll find Genesis. Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to start today. It's kind of where you get... The, the introduction to Joseph. We get, him in, we get a, a picture of Joseph at the age of 17. Nothing before, but we get a lot after. In fact, 25% of the book of Genesis is dedicated to the life of Joseph. So because we can go back and look at the generational sins that have gone on from one generation to the next, the favoritism in this situation, it could be lying, it could be cheating, it could be abuse, it could be, any, could, could be substance, it could be any other number of things prior in some other story. But in this one, it's favoritism. And what you do is you see one wound being passed down to the next generation to the next generation. And Joseph had, he had ten brothers older than him. And then there was Joseph. And then later there will be Benjamin. And there was this relationship that went on between, in chapter 37 when, 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 when Joseph comes in the scene, where he's, he's immature, he's, he's, but he's got this amazing ability to see into the future and he's just spouting it off and it just makes his brothers extremely jealous. But they're already jealous before. Because see, the Bible makes it very clear that, I, excuse me, that Jacob, who's also named Israel if you read through the scriptures, he 
favors Joseph. He even creates for him this coat of many colors. You probably have heard the story as a child growing up. He creates for him this special coat. So can you imagine the jealousy that permeates through the home whenever little Joseph comes prancing through the house with this coat of many colors made by his father? It just adds insult to injury, and then you've got the dreamer element going on. And again, we're going to cover the life of Joseph in a matter of the next 20 minutes. There's no way I can cover a quarter of, of, of Joseph's life and do it justice. In fact, in preparing this message, I realized very quickly this is an entire series unto its own. But you find in, in, in this passage, you find a story of a 17-year-old who's inflicted not by parents, because he's the favorite, He's actually inflicted, his, receives his wounds from his siblings, from these ten jealous brothers who are angry and only grow in, in their anger. And my, my question to all of us today, because I want to assume today that everyone in this room is wounded, is how do you get past the wounds? And I want to say that there are three bombs to healing a wound. Not a bomb you drop, okay, but a bomb of medicine. The bomb has already been dropped in your life and in my life. But how do you get past it? One is you've got to see it. You've got to put on some depth perceptive kind of lenses that looks deep into your family, into your history, into your life that shows you. Because what happens here is we have this intersection where the intersection of the ten brothers and the intersection of Joseph and the intersection of Jacob all come together. And what happens is these wounds are being inflicted in the home. Now hang with me on this. Because this is what happens. It is like dropping a bomb. You have no control of the shrapnel, no rationality to it. It doesn't make sense. If Jacob was favoring Joseph, why do they pick on Joseph? Why don't they get mad at Dad? Instead, what they do is they take it out on Joseph. That's the thing about wounds. We don't get to choose them, neither do we get to control the effects on our life until we see them, until we go through this process of healing. But Jacob was this favorite. Look, look at Genesis 37 with me. He says in verse 2, he says, In the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 and, and pasturing the flock with his brothers, he was the boy and the son of Belial, uh, Zilpha, uh, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them and to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph. Here it is, the favoritism. More than any of the other sons because he was the son of old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all their brothers, they hated him. They hated him. Now again, the irrationality of the wound is being inflicted by Jacob. They should have been angry at Jacob, but instead they're angry at their brothers. But wounds, again, are like shrapnel or like tsunami. You don't control them. They take over. And they cannot speak peacefully of him. It says also in verse 5 that they hated him even more. In verse 8 it says, so they hated him even more. It just continues to build. What is going on here? Why the hatred? Why the animosity? Why the pent up? They don't even, listen, this is the thing about anger. Anger, many, oh boy, I don't have time for all this. Let's just get to this. Look at verse, look at verse 11. And his brothers were jealous of him. 
See, anger many times is just the, is just the fruit of the issue. The, the issue was jealousy. And anger, the outburst, the breaking of the glass, the, 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 the throwing something across the room, the, the abuse, that is, that's the manifestation of something that's going on in the heart. And what was going on in the heart was jealousy. Now, why was the jealousy there? Because dad loved son Joseph more than all the other sons. Really clear. Why does dad love Joseph more than all the sons? Because guess what? Jacob grew up in a home where dad had a favorite, and it wasn't Jacob. He grew up in a system, in a family organization, that what we did is we have favorites, and we literally fight and deceive to get the blessings of dad. Genesis 25, back a few chapters, it says when the boys grew up, Esau was, was, um, was Jacob's brother. is a skillful hunter, a man of the field. A man's man's kind of son. But who was Jacob? Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. He wasn't the warrior son. He didn't beat his chest. He didn't have that, that, that extra dad connection. He had a greater connection with mom. Now notice this. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. You see it? You see the system, the life that, that Jacob grew up in was a system of favoritism, was a system of conditional blessings, was a, con, a system of conditional love that, that if you're like me, if you're this kind of person, then you'll get the blessing and deception comes in. It's this whole total thing. But the problem is, is that we, you, me, all of us and our kids will grow up in the system that we're in and until we stop and see the system, the ways of a past, it will become the future. Failing to see the wound of the generation perpetuates the wounds into the next generation. It went from one to ten. See, the opposite of seeing is ignoring. Moving on and just fighting through. We cannot ignore the wounds. You've got to stop. You've got to see. I want to encourage you. If you've got to take a week off of vacation, take it. Go away. Get aside. Talk to a counselor. Talk to me. I'll give you some stuff to read. Whatever. You need to stop and you need to take inventory of your life. You need to stop and look at your upbringing. You need to see from whence you came. You need to see the wounds. Don't wash over them. Don't ignore them. Don't hide them. Don't run from them. It's not a disservice to the parents. It's not a disservice to the grandparents. It's not a disservice to name the sins of past generations. In fact, it's a disservice to your children and the next generation if you don't step in and say, this is stopping in this generation. This has got to stop here and now. Again, I think we can all talk about our past and talk about our presence and talk about where we want to go. Lori and I, and I have a great family. I grew up in, it, was, it had its challenges. And there are many expressions of family within my McDaniel and extended family. And Lori and I have talked many times. There are several paths that Mike McDaniel could have chosen. This family member, this family member, this family member. But Mike had to look at his family 
and say, you know what? I'm not going that way. I'm breaking a family tree here, and I'm planting a new one. But until I could stop long enough, assess long enough, look deep long enough, I would never move forward. I would never be able to break the pattern of the past. Can you stop? Will you stop? And will you look at the wounds? Number two, take time to feel the wounds. Most people don't want to feel the wounds. Most people don't want to. If 50% of the people stop and course correct their family tree, they stop and change the way things are processed, if they stop and they change some of the things and the patterns of the past generations, if they stop it, most people will not want to go to the pain level. They'll not want to feel the wound. And I am encouraging you to feel the wound. The opposite of not feeling the wound is numbing. Growing numb. If you grow numb, you'll grow hard-hearted. If you grow hard-hearted, pretty soon your heart will not be sensitive and pliable. The Marines have a statement that they pass on to their soldiers in boot camp that we move toward the firing lines. I want to say to you, it's time for us to move towards the pain. Not away from it, not run from it, not shelter. Train, we're trained to avoid pain. And I want to say the healthy thing is to move toward the pain. To figure out why it is painful. Why is it there? Joseph, if you go on again, I can't do justice to his life. His brothers were so angry, so despised him. They even nicknamed him. They wanted to kill him. They had a plan to kill him. Finally, Reuben talks him out of killing him. No, let's sell him. Make him a slave. Sells him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sell him to the Mennonites. The Mennonites sell him to the Egyptians. And he lands in the hands of a man named Potiphar who was an officer in Pharaoh's army. I have to say, after all that becoming a commodity, had to be the lowest point in his life at, at that moment, so he thought, ended up being a turning point in his life. Ends up being a t- point whenever from the age of 17 to the age of about 30, he goes through some ups and downs, but by and large, it's a pretty blissful thing. I'm not blissful, wrong words. He, it was a pretty positive course that he gets on. He gets out of the wounded home, he gets out of the wounded pattern, and all of a sudden he starts charting a new course, and things begin to look up for him. In fact, chapter 39, verse 3 to 4, and verse 6, it says this, it says, The Lord made everything he did successful. He found favor in the master's sight. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. He was eye candy for the ladies. Alright, here's this guy. Everything he's doing, he's successful. He looks good. He's got it together. He's got the swagger. He's, he's well built. In fact, there were women, you could read the story for your own, your own time, throwing themselves at him. Throwing themselves at him. That's, how, that's the kind of upswing that he had in his life. And from chapter 39 to chapter 41, you see the ups and the downs in his life, but primarily he's up and to the right. He is overcoming his wound. Hang on that thought for a moment. He's overcoming his womb. In fact, by the age of 30, he becomes a part of Pharaoh's cabinet. He ends up managing the resources, the food of the people of the nation for, during a time of great prosperity because he was preparing them for a time of famine. Seven years later, he becomes this leader in the cabinet of Pharaoh, the superpower of the day. 
in the midst of Egypt being strong and him saving the nation. Now listen to this. He is overcoming. He's handsome. He's got the swagger. He's got everything moving in his direction. All of a sudden, ten starving, scrawny guys walk into his office. They were his brothers. They didn't know him, but he knew them. He saw them. He knew them. Chapter 42, these these ten men walk in and immediately emotions come back up. I want you to hang on to that. Some 20 to 25 years between the wounds of the past and the reality of the present is all of a sudden the emotions resurface. You need to mark this down. Overcoming a wound isn't the same thing as healing a wound. Just because you're able to press down and push ahead and ignore it and and move on and to overcome and you become successful and you become this great person and and you, you got women throwing themselves at you, you might have all the success in the world, but you have still wounded. And all has to happen is some person has to step into your life. Some person has to contact you out of the blue. And all of a sudden, out of emotions you haven't felt that you've stowed away for 20 or 25 years, all of a sudden they resurface. All of a sudden you're feeling emotions that you hadn't felt for years because you've capped them, you've hidden them, you've stayed away from them. And what happens in chapter 42 and following is an amazing picture in the life of Joseph because this is a man who walked toward the pain, walked toward the firing lines. He wasn't a man who took his brothers and and whacked their heads off. Now, his first response was just that, which is a very natural response. When you've been wounded and you run into that person at Walmart, you turn your little buggy down one aisle and you run into them on that same aisle, all of a sudden, your breath goes away. Or all of a sudden you get a Facebook message from someone that was a blast from the past or a terror from the past. And all of a sudden, your heart starts beating. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And you don't, you know, you just like, you don't know what to punch him or kill him or, or you don't come back into my life. I, I put you out of my life. I don't want you in my life. I've moved on. I've changed states. I've changed zip codes. I've done everything to get you out of my life. Listen, avoidance isn't dealing with the issues. Overcoming isn't healing the wound. What happens, and I just got to give it to you really quickly, but in chapter 42, verse 14 and 17, you can see the anger boiling up inside of Joseph as soon as he sees his brothers coming in the room. He calls them spies. He's setting them up to be killed. You can see it oozing out of him. But in verse 24, just a few verses later, he begins to have this kind of controlled cry. He begins to weep. Turn away. And he wept. It says he turned away and he wept. He turned away and he wept. He didn't want anybody to see him pray. Then he turned back and he spoke. All of a sudden, he, he, he sees himself welling up and he turns himself away because he didn't want anybody to see his vulnerability. He didn't want anybody to see his weakness. He didn't want anybody to see that, that, that part, that wounded part of his heart. And all of a sudden, he pulls back. He gains his composure. He sucks it up. He turns around and he deals with it. shows a little bit of compassion. Verse 25, he sends back food to the family. Chapter 43, a chapter later, 
Compassion comes and tears come together again when it says that Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place. Listen to this phrase in verse 31. He sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and he wept there. Let me just say this to you. Whatever wound whether it be 20, 40, 50, 60 years ago that was inflicted into your life, and maybe it's a series of them, the best thing you could do is to feel the wound, go through the emotion, weep, let it out. Where is your place of weeping, of emoting? Chapter 45, verse 2, he became he began to grieve so deeply, he said he wept loudly that Egyptians heard it. He couldn't control anymore. It wasn't a matter of turning the head. You see what's happening inside of him? His heart is getting soft. At once he's angry. The next move he's kind of, he's, he's about to cry but he's going to hold it back. And the next eventually he gets a soft heart. He begins to cry so loudly that the Egyptians around him are hearing this weeping man. You find in chapter 45 verse 14 and 15 he weeps three times in two verses a man who's dealing with wounds. Chapter 50 verse 1 and following. Nine different times he weeps. Nine different times. He goes through the pains, the feeling, the mourning, the loss, the emotion, the anger that is a healthy grieving process to wholeness. You see this in the life of Joseph. He had the power. Listen to understand. He had the power. He had the authority. He could have taken his first instinct of calling his brothers spies and had them annihilated in the moment. He had the power to do that, but he chose to weep and to mourn and to grieve and to find healing. Let me tell you this. Whoever's wounded you, getting even isn't going to make it. There is no getting even. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. But in January, I had a Facebook conversation with a person that I hadn't seen in 30 years. This person referred back to events that happened in junior high. Junior high school. Conversation goes on January and February. Finally in February, I mean after, I I don't even remember what this person was saying on the other end of the message. The more they we talked, it began to make sense. I do remember vaguely something, yeah, something being said and a rumor going around through the school. 30 years, mind you. This is in January and February. The conversation ends when this person cuts it off and won't allow me to talk back to them. All I'm doing is trying to do some sort of pastoral care, some sort of redemption, some sort of making things right. And this person lets me have it in the last final message and cuts it off. In March, she commits suicide this year. I didn't find out till May, just last month. Blown away. Talked to this person who told me about the situation. Come to find out. She was going back to everybody that she could remember in junior high and saying, you started this rumor about me, you started this rumor about me. 
There's a whole lot I've thought about over the past month. But let me tell you this, this is one thing I do realize. Time does not heal all wounds. Wounds go deep and they last long. What we do with those wounds is going to be a lot up to us. The last, maybe the hardest balm for healing wounds is being willing to release the wound. Being willing to release the wound. Time does not heal all wounds, but forgiveness does. And I can tell you right now, whenever you're in the midst of the feeling the wound, you are not thinking about, you are not embracing the idea of forgiveness. So I just want to stick with the word release. Just release them. You can't make them whole. You can't make it right. You can't get vengeance enough. But in chapter 50, the last chapter of Genesis closes, chapter 50 you find, uh, you find Nehemiah, excuse me, you find Joseph. And his father has passed away. And he sends him back, Jacob, back to Israel for a proper burial as he wanted. And all of a sudden in verse 15, his brothers developed this great fear. Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead and they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. He's going to get even with his dad's gone. He's going to get even. Verse 17, say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression. This is what the brother said to him. Please forgive. He says it again later on in that verse. Now, please forgive the transgression. Of the... And what does Joseph do? He wept. He wept. He wept. See, whenever we are able to release the wound that has been inflicted upon us, we are actually... The opposite of that is releasing, of releasing is bitterness. See, we take on bitterness if we're not careful. When, when, when Joseph forgave his brothers, it was a moment in time that they had fear in their eyes, but Joseph had developed a different perspective. Because he saw the sin, because he felt the pain, because he wept, because he went through that grieving, that mourning, that process, because he didn't shell himself up, he was able to turn the corner and to elevate himself up and to see life from a different perspective than ever would be able to be seen. He was able to look at the pain. He was able to look at the betrayal. He was able to look at the pain. And this is what he said, the most famous statement that Joseph ever made. I believe he made and could make because... He knew forgiveness. And this is what Joseph said. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. You read it right there, verse 20. You intended it for evil, brothers, but God intended it for good. Let me just say to you, and this doesn't fix it all whenever you're in the emotional pain of it all, whenever you're unpacking it and you're going back and you're revisiting the wounds. I'm just telling you what's going to happen. It may take five years. It may take 15 years for you to reach this point. But if you'll go through this process, 
However long it took Joseph, I don't know. If you will go through that process of releasing the people that have offended you, you will be able to see life with the clarity that even though that was evil, even though that was wrong, even though you hurt me, God has used this. Egypt was saved. Israel, the nation, was saved because of this. It doesn't make sexual abuse right. It doesn't make verbal abuse right. It doesn't make emotional abuse right. But God is able to take those wounds, those pains, those hurts, and He's able to to reorchestrate them for His good. Just a life principle for you. Never waste a pain. What is God doing in the pain of my life? Robert Bly, again, if I can quote from him, he said this, There's a man, uh, where a man's wound is, that is where his genesis will be. Genius will be, excuse me. You will be the most amazing individual, a Joseph, a genius. To be able to see life, to be able to see perspective, to be able to see the wound and what can come out of that. Whenever you go back and you feel it, when you go back and look at it. I want to close by giving you two questions. They're in your notes. First question is why? The second question is who? Why? Why? Why do you emote the way you emote? Why do you react the way you react? Why do you feel the way you feel? Why do you think the way you think? Why do you raise your children the way you raise your children? Why do you work the way you work? Why do you do what you do? Ask yourself a lot of questions of why. Because when you go to the why, you might find that you're actually living out what you've always seen done in the patterns of the past. The second question is who? Who wounded me? Who am I holding captive? Who do I need to release? See, when Jesus was dying on the cross, the single most powerful statement that He made was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, when I release, when we release people, we're able to forgive people. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know. today is I just opened up something inside of you that you've corridored off and you've controlled and you've been able to to manage through the pain for the past 20-25 years like Joseph I don't regret it I don't think there's restoration until you see it until you feel it until you release it Joseph didn't hold his brothers captive 
did is saw God in it all. You'll become more like Jesus when you feel, when you see, and when you release. Father God, restore the brokenness of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing?